Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. If you're joining us this morning for the first time, uh, or maybe you're back from holiday, it's great to see you. Uh, my name's Graham, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach. And we are in our third week of a series we've called Resolved. And we're looking at how we truly change, not just well-intended resolutions, but where we resolve to let the Spirit of God examine our hearts. We trust the Lord to change us. And the last two weeks, Pastor Timon has been teaching us that true change comes from the Lord. We don't change ourselves, He changes our hearts. As we allow the Holy Spirit to examine us, uh, we receive God's grace through His Spirit and His Word. And then last week we looked at faith, how we respond in faith, a faith that is active and sincere. Because what we really believe, not just what we say we believe, but what we really believe will affect how we live. Now, there's an awesomeness to that. There's a response to that. Yes, we want to be part of that. And there's a spiritual fervor that we get excited about. And it's kind of like you and me, Jesus, we're going to change. And then we're going to change the world in 2019. But you wake up and it's the 20th of January and reality hits. And we wake up and it becomes a little bit of a struggle. Or is that just me? Looks like it's just me. Okay, so anyway, uh, what we did as a church towards the end of last year was go through the book of Daniel. Can anyone remember that? Good, all right. It's a great series. Go look online. It's really good. But as you, we went through the book of Daniel, it kind of felt to me that Daniel is this guy, like all these amazing things are happening to him all the time. And so kind of he, he gets taken away from his home as a young man. He, gets, he almost gets killed for choosing to eat only vegetables. Now, most parents here would love their children to have that kind of conviction about vegetables. He sees his friends get put into a fiery furnace and get delivered. He interprets dreams for a king. He gets made prime minister of a foreign country. He gets thrown in the lion's den. He sees kingdoms come and go. I mean, it's happening to the sky all the time. And I want my Christian life to be like that. Like this is this is incredible. The guys on this roller coaster all the time. But here's the reality of Daniel's life. Daniel is taken from Jerusalem as a young teenager, probably no more than 16. He gets taken to Babylon, and in Babylon, he dies an old, old man, at least in his late 80s or in his 90s or even beyond that. So despite all these major things happening in his life, they are just highlights. They are just these major moments. Most days, Daniel got up, he got dressed, and he went to work. And that's true for us. Sometimes we have these major moments in our life, these highlights, but most days we're going to get up, we're going to get dressed, and we're going to go to work. But here's the question, though. What caused Daniel to thrive in those moments? 
It wasn't that Daniel suddenly woke up and he thought, oh my goodness, I'm in this moment. Now I need to find out who the Lord is. Now I need to develop some spiritual muscle. No, Daniel had been getting to know his God day in, day out. Daniel was a man of prayer. Every day he got up and he prayed. He knew his God. So when the moment came and the crisis came, he was ready It didn't shake him. He knew because he knew in whom he had believed. So now we fast forward and we come to Timothy. And Paul's writing Timothy this letter. Now Paul had this great affection for Timothy and he's writing him this letter and he's giving him all this ministry and fatherly advice. And in the passage we read today, The first thing he tells Timothy to do is to confront troublemakers in the church. Now that requires some spiritual muscle. It requires knowing who your God is in order to confront the troublemakers. So who were these troublemakers and what were they teaching? They were what we call the, the Gnostics, right? And they had this idea that the body and the spiritual were separate, right? And the, the body, the physical was evil and the spiritual was good. So you keep them, keep them separated, right? You do not let the physical interfere with your spiritual life. And if you allow that kind of teaching to flourish in the church, this will happen. One of two things. Either you have this idea, it doesn't matter what I do with my body, It doesn't affect me spiritually, so I will overindulge the body's desires. It doesn't really matter how I live. And the opposite side of that is, it's like, well, if I'm truly to be saintly, then I must do everything I can to rid the body of its desires, right? So you, some people will sleep on a bed of nails in order to try and, you know, kill the body and its desires in every way. Now, in Timothy's case, at that time, There were these people coming in, it was a mixture of the Greeks and the Jews, and they were saying like, do not marry, you know, that's evil. Do not eat this, that's evil. And he says it like this, in verse six, if you've got your Bibles, follow with me. It says this, if you put these things before the brothers, so these things, these, this, this bad teaching, if you put them before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Now he's telling Timothy, Timothy, face up to these problems. You've got to deal with them, Timothy, because if you neglect them, it just gets worse, right? But if you're willing to face them, you're willing to take these bad teachers on, The cure now will be much better than the damage it will do in the long term. And it's the same for us. We have things in our lives that if we're not willing to let the Lord deal with, they become far more damaging in the long term. If you just leave them alone and sweep them under the carpet and pretend they're not there, it never, ever gets better. But I want you to notice what Paul does with Timothy. He encourages Timothy to engage with the community. He says, bring these things before the brothers, and it can be the brothers and sisters, bring them before the community. Problems in the church have to be dealt with. Problems in our lives have to be dealt with. But Timothy, don't do it on your own. Don't do it on your own. We need people around us. We need to bring it to people. 
So last week, Pastor Timon had his whiteboard out here and he was teaching us equations. So here's the test. Are you ready? Okay, the 9 a.m. kind of passed. Okay, no, they didn't. <laughs> okay, let's see if we got it. Equation one, we have the spirit plus... Oh, much better. Yes, good. Plus discipline. And that's what we're learning today. Equals? True change. Yeah, I know you're a little bit unsure about that one. Okay, it equals true change. Very well done, class. And overarching all that is? Community. Community. That is us. That is us, right? And he says we need community. So in this season, right, we come before the Lord. We say, Lord, examine our hearts. Send us your spirit. Give us your grace to change and let us respond to you. We also need the community of believers around us. So when we gather at church, we gather at real life groups and we gather one-on-one -on -one, and we bring the stuff in our lives that we believe the Lord is, is convicting us of to change and we bring that before our brothers and sisters, the Lord has this incredible way when we bring things out into the light of using the people around us to show us his grace for our good and our strengthening. And I want you to notice this. He says, Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, usually when we think of someone as being a good servant, what do we think of? Someone who's morally got it all together, right? But that's not what he's saying here. He says, Timothy, you, if you want to be more Christ-like, when we respond in faith and we bring our problems before God, you are being a good servant. You're addressing things. You're dealing with it. That is a good servant. And he tells Timothy, Timothy, listen, there are going to be distractions. There are going to be things that are not worth pursuing. But I want to give you something that keeps you focused, that keeps you growing and moving forward. You need this one thing, and this is what I want you to keep focused on and keep growing in it. This is how he says it, verse seven and eight, read it with me. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now these silly myths that he's talking about, these immoral myths were what we said were this mixture between what the Greeks and the Jews were teaching. That either you indulge the body and its desires or you seek to kill them and deny every desire the body has. And he says, Timothy, don't give your attention to that kind of stuff. Don't even bother with it. Don't go down that road because they only seek to distract, to divide the community, and ultimately they destroy. You know what I want you to focus on? I want you to focus on godliness. That's what you need. Guys, there are going to be things in our lives in 2019 which are or seemingly worthwhile pursuing, but they are distractions in our life. They will seek to take our effort and our time, but they will lead us nowhere. Timothy, don't get drawn in by those things. I want you to focus on this. Focus on growing in godliness. godliness. One person's awake. Good. Uh, it's always the people in the front. <laughs> All right, so 
what is godliness? What is this thing that we're seeking to grow in? Now, some might say, well, that's, that's being good. But you know what? The world values being good. The world values nice people. The world values polite people, law-abiding people. So in the world's eyes, you actually, you know, it'll get you somewhere if you focus on being good. But godliness is different. With godliness, the focus is on God, not ourselves. So think about this, right? What is the motivation for being good? What is the mo- this is a great question to ask your kids, for the way. Why are you being good? And often it's to avoid punishment. Or maybe it's the idea of living at peace. Or maybe there's a little bit of prosperity that comes with being good. Maybe it's being light. And by the way, those are, are not bad things in and of themselves. But it's not godliness. Godliness is this. To live in a way that reflects the character and the nature of God. Godliness is this, to reflect the nature and the character of God. So let's just take one aspect of godliness, and it is only one aspect, right? That is regular times in prayer and reading God's Word. It is not the aspect, it is one aspect of godliness. Now we can do that with different motives, We can do it because we want to seem good, like good Christians. And when we do well and we do read our Bibles, we're coming away thinking, I read my Bible this morning. I prayed for 20 minutes. And there's this pride that swells up in us. Or we don't do it and we feel condemned. We feel like I've blown it, right? I didn't read my Bible today. The motivation is completely wrong. The motivation is not out of a desire to get to know who God is and reflect him, his character and his nature. So we must ask the question, why do we want to change? Why do we want to change? That is the motivation question, right? So often it is because we just want to be thought better of by others. Or maybe we want to feel better about ourselves Or maybe we're struggling with a habit that we feel is crippling our lives and our lives would be just that much better without this habit. Or is it because our greatest desire is to please the Lord and we want to change the areas of our lives that He wants to change in us regardless of the cost? Because I have to be honest with you, there is a cost to godliness. So before we say, yes, godliness, sign me up, I'm all in, we have to know that there is a cost. And Paul is going to remind Timothy of the cost because he writes him a second letter and this is what he says. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted will be persecuted. No one ever says amen to that promise, right? No one ever does, yeah. But it's a promise of God. What a promise, right? We desire to live a godly life. You will be persecuted. So I, be honest with you, 
I'll tell you one thing that I believe the Lord has been convicting me of for a while, and that is in the area of boldness in proclaiming the gospel. So I can sound very bold before you this morning, but in those one-on-one conversations when I meet people, sometimes I'm not so bold. But I sense the Lord leading me to be bold in proclaiming the gospel at any opportunity he gives me. And I have tried before, very much in the flesh. And I think God has been convicting me of my motivation. Because my motivation is often to have a good witnessing story. Oh, I was witnessing to this person last week and you wouldn't believe what happened. And it's just because I want to be thought well of by other believers. But it got me nowhere. But when the Spirit gets hold of you and examines your heart and leads you to change, not only does He show you that change is possible, but He changes the motivation of your heart, which is actually the critical element. Now the motivation to talk to people is out of a genuine love and a concern for people who don't know Jesus and are not following him. But godliness is something you do train for. It is something that we grow in, we get stronger in. And the Greeks had what they call the Gymnasia, that's where they trained, right? And the Greeks loved their games. They had the Olympic Games, they had the Isthmian Games and the Ionian Games, and they had all these stadiums because they worshipped health and beauty. But we've changed, haven't we? We've come a long way since then. We don't do any of that stuff. You see, the Greeks were obsessed with fitness. Every 16 to 18-year-old spent the next two years of their life devoted to nothing else but being physically fit. So the Greeks thought that a physically fit nation was invincible, was absolutely invincible, but it was rooted in immorality and idolatry. Immorality because the games were often played in the nude and you watch a bunch of naked people doing sport and stuff, it leads to some pretty dodgy things, right? Immorality. And the other side was idolatry because the games were actually offered as as an offering to the gods. They would light an altar and they would burn a flame to the god, the pagan gods of the games. And actually, the modern-day Olympics is based on that idea. When they light the Olympic flames, it comes from ancient Greece when they were lighting a flame to the gods. Now, Paul says to Timothy, right, don't rule out physical training. It does have some value. Despite all that that's going on, where it's led them to wrong places, physical physical training does have some value. So a long time ago, in a place far, far away, I was a university student. It was a long time ago. And a friend of myself, his name was Grant, we decided to take up canoeing. And uh, there was this three-day river race called the Doozy Canoe Marathon. And our goal was to be fit and have fun doing it. So we went and bought a second-hand canoe and we bought all the gear that went with it. So in light of an illustration, we had examined ourselves. We were convicted that we needed to change. And we needed to get fit. And then in our faith, we practiced our faith and we bought the equipment. Now, 
all we needed to do was train. We needed to discipline ourselves in the art of canoeing. So as young men often are, we were overconfident. And we went down to the river, and exactly, exactly two seconds later, we were in the water. And we did more swimming than we did canoeing. And it wasn't as easy as we thought. And we were like, you know that sports comedy where you uh, have people who try something for the first time and they're absolutely useless at it. That was us, except we just stayed useless at it. We never got much better. So this is a picture of us. And that's really how we spent most of our time. So what it came to is we decided we needed teaching and we needed training. But first we needed teaching. We needed someone to show us how to canoe because clearly we didn't have it all together. And as we train ourselves in godliness, we learn from teachers. When we gather every Sunday and we hear God's word taught, we are being taught what it means to be godly, to live out godliness. Maybe we even attend courses. We go to real life group. We've got uh, our Monday night equipping class starting in the first term. It's going to be great. We're going to have courses on marriage, on parenting, the book of Romans. It's going to be really great. It's a, a wonderful way to be taught in godliness. And another thing that we do is we, we watch people through the community, how we live our lives. We, we watch how husbands treat their wives. We watch how wives treat their husbands. We watch uh, how families operate in the kingdom of God. But we have to be very careful that we stop there and we just become sermon tasters and observers and we never participate ourselves. You see, we need to train ourselves. After we had been shown how to canoe, we needed to go and physically get in the water ourselves. We needed to actually practice. Otherwise, we would never know if we could really canoe. And we would never progress. We had to do it ourselves. And it's the same for us. As a church, when we get together in small groups, we meet one-on-one, -on -one, we begin to practice godliness. But I have to be honest with you, for us, Many times we didn't want to train, right? It was hard. You had to get up early. You had to put the boat on the car. You had to drive to the river, and then you had to paddle up and down. The water was freezing, and we would still fall out a lot. But what kept us going was essentially two things. The first one was that we relied on each other. We were in a two-man canoe. So if one of us decided, hey, I'm not going to train today, both of us suffered for it. We had both missed out. So we were kind of accountable to each other. But I have to tell you, there were a number of mornings when my alarm went off, when all I wanted to do was roll over and hit the snooze button and go back to sleep. But because I knew Grant would be waiting for me, I got up. And I also knew that the first time I gave in to that snooze button, I'd be doing it again and again and again and would form a habit all on its own. But the second thing that motivated us was the race itself. This thing that we were training for. 
We were training for this river race. We needed to know how to canoe. We needed to know the river in order to pedal the race. We knew it would be tough and we wanted to be ready for it. And it's the same when we train for godliness, when we discipline ourselves in godliness. There are going to be times when we simply don't want to do it. We don't feel like going to church today. We don't feel like going to real life group tonight. We don't feel like getting up and having time with the Lord, reading his word and praying. And uh, I know I can say that because I do it all the time. I have all the good excuses. And if I'm honest with you, about 95% of the time, it's out of pure laziness or self-indulgence. Maybe about 5% of the time, I have a legitimate excuse But what I do is I tend to blow up that 5% of the time, right? And make that, oh, I've got this brilliant excuse why I don't do it. So I was struggling as a young believer in my spiritual disciplines. And so I went to see an older, more mature, wiser believer. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm struggling in my spiritual disciplines. And I expected him to say to me, well, come with me. We'll do this 10-week course. Instead, he just said this to me. It will be a discipline before it becomes a delight. It'll be a discipline before it becomes a delight. And he was right. In the beginning, it was hard. But it became a delight. You know, the the same when we were, were training for this race. In the beginning, it was hard. But we came to love those early mornings on the water. And it's the same way now that when it comes time to spending time in God's word and praying and getting to know him, they are beautiful moments that I do not want to miss out on. It has to be a discipline before it's a delight. Murray, uh, Andrew Murray, great Christian, this is what he said. He said, oh, let the place of secret prayer Become to me the most beloved spot on earth. A beautiful moment where it's such a treasure, it's such a delight that you don't want to miss out on it. That's the motivation. What about training in godliness for families? How do we train our kids? How do they see godliness in their parents and as a family? How do we model the spiritual discipline? So I think two things spring to mind. Number one is just consistency. Just live out your walk before your family. Let them see who you really are. Let them see how much the Lord means to you. So I remember chatting to a beautiful lady who had an incredible faith at uh, Watermark in Hong Kong and just asking her about her faith and how she grew. And she said, you know, the one thing that really stuck to me was as a little girl, I used to wake up and I used to always find my dad reading his Bible and praying. Every morning I woke up and I found my dad reading his Bible and praying. Had this profound effect on her. And another thing is to make the most of opportunities. So as a church, we're going through 21 days of prayer and fasting. Okay, this is the point where you say amen, right? Amen. It's an awesome time as a church, right? So how do we make the most of that as a family? 
So as a family, my wife led the charge on this. She said, uh, we, got, we got the kids around and we said, okay, uh, you got a choice. We're going to fast for 21 days. You can either fast meat, dairy, or sweets. What do you think they chose? So I was convinced they were going to go for the meat, right? They can't do without their dairy in the, in the morning. But I was convinced they were going to go without meat. And they chose sugar. They chose the sweet things. My kids have become carnivores since living in, in Australia. They can't do without their meat. So anyway, we got that up, all right, no sugar for 21 days. And on the other side of that is we got a chart. And we said every day as a church, we are praying for certain things. What do you want to pray about on a specific day? So we drew up this chart. This is drawn by my son. He's going to be an artist, isn't he? <laughs> okay, there he is. But we came up and we asked the kids, what do you want to pray about on certain days. And every day we get together and we say, what are we praying about now? As a church, what are we praying about church today? Reproduce. reproduce. Good. All right. So Sunday we're praying about reproduce and the kids wanted to pray about being fruitful. So we're in day seven. And what we found is that our kids are starting to change in the way they pray, in the way they pray. Just making the most of it. But it is a discipline before it becomes a delight. All right, now can I ask you, in 2019, how many of us have made a resolution uh, to be better in the area of fitness and health? I include myself in that. Anyone else? Okay, so I thought there would be more of us. Okay, good. But uh, it's not a bad thing. The passage tells us that physical training is of some value. It does have value. Because I believe the Lord has given each of us a body. The Bible calls it a tent. We cannot serve the Lord as we should if we don't look after the tent that we have. We only get one. But one day, my body and your body will start to wear out. The knees will hurt and the teeth will be few and the muscles I have now will fade away. And I know the young people are looking at me thinking, no way. But it will happen. Just you see, it will happen. And you're not going to be as fast as you are now. But you see, physical training only has value for this life. It only has value for this life. And if you devote your whole life and your whole existence to being fit and healthy, you are going to end up disappointed because it doesn't last forever. Everybody's tent wears out. The Greeks found this out, right? Physical training ultimately couldn't save them. But godliness, godliness, that is greater value even now than physical training. Godliness has so much greater value because of this thing. When we train in godliness, we are reflecting God. But the reason should always be rooted in the fact that we get to know who the Savior is. Amen. We get to know who He is. Paul said it like this in Philippians. He said this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. I want to know Christ. That was Paul's ambition. Paul's ambition. 
right? If Paul, the man who we consider one of the greatest apostles who there ever was, who walked with Jesus and went through all this, if he could say, I want to know Christ, how much more should we be saying, I want to know Christ? It should be our ambition. And as we allow Jesus to mold and change us, what we begin to do is we begin to live out the kingdom for the people around us. But you know what's even more special than that? We get to know the king of the kingdom that is coming. You see, we are on display in our godliness and we reflect God in our godliness. And what we start now, we start this relationship with the Lord. We get to know him. We get to see what he's like. We allow him to change us and he changes us from glory to glory. And it starts now, but it goes on into eternity. It has so much greater value. And Paul needs to stop at this point and he needs to remind Timothy of the why. The why we train for godliness. This is so important. It's verse 10. Read it with me. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Training in godliness does involve toiling and striving. But the reason... The reason we're prepared to toil and strive is because we get to know him and because our hope is set on the living God, not a dying body, not a perishing culture, not a passing pleasure, but the living eternal God. You are allowed to say amen. It's a beautiful thing, right? That's where our hope is set. But here's the thing, right? If we really want to test that, and find out where your hope is. In 2019, watch where you invest your time. Watch where you invest your time. If we spend every day that we have watching Netflix, where's my hope? My hope is in entertainment. My hope is in this thing that will deliver me. My hope, I find my joy in Netflix. By the way, there's nothing wrong with watching Netflix a little bit. I guess it depends on what you're watching. But uh, the point is where you spend your time, where you choose to invest your time, because that says where your hope is. This is what will deliver me. This is where my hope rests. And we choose as a community to put our hope in the living God and we will invest our time pursuing him because he's awesome and because he's worth it. Now, Paul throws in this very interesting phrase. He says, who is savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now, the word savior here has two meanings. One is to save, to rescue, but the other is to preserve, to sustain. You see, God is the preserver of all people. Whether people realize it or not today, God is preserving their life. He is giving them air to breathe. He's allowing them to live on this planet. He's giving them food to eat. And it's a miracle that we do not 
This little ball we live on spinning around at thousands of kilometers an hour that we just don't get flung off into space. He sustains all people. But Timothy, but Timothy, to you, especially those who believe, he's not only the sustainer of your life, he's the redeemer, he's the rescuer of your life. He's reminding Timothy of who God is and we need to constantly remind ourselves of who God is. Timothy, God created the heavens and the earth. He preserves all people. But to you, especially you, he's your savior. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who rescued you. Timothy, don't doubt this God. Pursue him, pursue him. Train yourself because he's worth getting to know. He's worth those moments when you want to turn off the alarm clock and go back to sleep. He's worth it. He's worth it when you just want to stay home and rest and you, you don't want to be with people. He's worth getting up and getting to know. I want to show you a picture here. Finish with this. So this is it. This is the doozy. This was the race. Day three, we came to this rapid. It was called the Umzumyati, which is nicknamed the washing machine. Because if you fell out in this rapid, it was like being in a washing machine. But the day came, and because we had trained, because we knew the river, because we knew each other, this didn't frighten us. This turmoil, this being knocked around, it didn't frighten us. Because we had trained, because we knew. Guys, in our lives, things are going to be thrown at us this year. Tests will come. God doesn't promise you an easy life. But in those moments, as we've trained ourselves in godliness and we've gotten to know who this God is, we're not going to be shaken. We're not going to be thrown out because we know whom we have believed and we know that he is good. So as we bring areas of our lives before, this, before the Lord this year and we're seeking true change, it has to be rooted in a desire to honor him and a desire to get to know him. So we enable, we are enabled by the Spirit of God who changes us. We respond in faith to him. And then we train ourselves for godliness. Not in a legalistic way, but in a desire to know this wonderful, wonderful God who is our Savior and our Preserver.